Sometimes we find that our computer operating system gets corrupted. We download corrupted versions of something that create distortion and eventually can crash our whole system. Our faith journey is not unlike this, and it could be time for a reboot. Let's go to the original, uncorrupted version and learn about who Jesus really is and what the Bible has to say about his followers. That's today on the podcast. Hey, it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. Today, we're starting a new sermon series called Bootleg Jesus, How to Know if Your Faith Files Have Been Corrupted. Pastor Jason's going to examine how our faith can get corrupted and break down from incomplete sources, but also how to restore them to the true original version. Let's check it out right now. So today we start this series, Bootlegged Jesus, How to Know if Your Faith Files Have Been Corrupted. So what am I talking about? You know, if you're under 25, uh, I might need to unpack this a little bit. You're like, what's that thing? What is that? See, kids, that's a floppy disk. That's not even the first floppy disk. That's like the newer floppy disk. Anyway, that's that's how you transferred files uh, from one computer to another. Um, But maybe I'll give you something that you can understand. So back in the day, we, I'm going to say we, this is a safe space, right? Circle of trust. Like we're all, maybe in the past I got some bootlegged movies and software and, all right, listen, I was young and foolish. I've repented. I've given my heart to Steve Jobs. So we're good. Uh, Anyway, we are... Back in the day, you could get, and you probably still can, what was known as pirated goods, bootlegged. I could get a bootleg copy of the new Avengers movie while it's still in theaters. Although it's funny because back then, people used a camcorder. How old am I? But it's funny. I remember I got a movie one time that was still in theaters. I don't remember which movie, but it was literally a guy with a camcorder in the movie theater recording the screen, and some guy gets up for popcorn, like right in the middle of it. I'm like, this is terrible. This is like such a waste of time. Bootleg movies. Then there was the whole like file sharing of music. Remember Napster, right? I didn't want to get a lawsuit. You said it. I didn't say it. (laughs) But there was, you know, all this file sharing. You got all this bootleg stuff. And the biggest, actually, one of the biggest was like software. Like, oh, man, I could get the whole Adobe suite for three bucks. I'm sure that's fine. And, and you download the thing, and you get, like, um, all this malware, and pop, like something happens to your computer, and you wake up one day, and you turn it on, it's the blue screen of death. And if you haven't experienced the blue screen of death, that's a real special feeling. <laughs> but this is the thing about bootleg stuff, is that, well, a couple of things. The first is, it's not as good, right? It's corrupted files will create distortion, on the system. Corrupted files create distortion. The resolution isn't as good. There might be some mistakes in the file. There might be some things that cause it to not be the HD Blu-ray cinema experience that we're expecting. It might literally be a guy recording the movie theater. The corrupted files will create distortion. And then the second thing is that they will eventually crash the system. At some point, corrupted files will crash the system. And the fix, of course, is we need to download, re-download the uncorrupted files. 
you got to kind of start over. You have to hit a reset and download the uncorrupted files. I think this is very similar to what happens in our understanding of Jesus. See, I think over time, we learn things about Jesus that might have come from some corrupted files. We end up believing things that we hear from this place or this place or maybe we heard from a cynic or a book or a movie or something and it's weaved its way into our belief of Jesus Christ. And the problem is we don't even realize it. It's crashing our system. It's corrupting our faith files. In other words, the version of Jesus that we put our trust in isn't the real Jesus. And therefore, when push comes to shove, eventually our system's going to crash We're going to walk away from church. We're going to walk away from Jesus. We're going to walk away from our faith. Or we might go through a time of struggling because, well, we actually put our trust in the corrupted files. So over the next few weeks, during the month of May, we're going to look at some different ways that files get corrupted, and we're going to address them. And maybe there's an opportunity for all of us to re-download the originals so that our system can be healthy. When I was uh, growing up, one of my favorite movies, because it was my, one of my mom's favorite movies, which meant it's one of my favorite movies, because it was on all the time, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, 1969. Now listen, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry to spoil anything for you, but you've had a few years. <laughs> By the way, I did, I did see on uh, social media, there's a youth pastor. So last week, it's unofficially like National Youth Pastor Sunday, where all the youth pastors preach. So the pastors leave town the week after Easter. So this youth pastor was up there, and he, he gave away the ending uh, to the Avengers movie. And they, it was so funny watching other youth pastors respond. Um, let's just say they were not kind. <laughs> he should never be allowed up there. Front. It was really funny. Anyway, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So Paul Newman, Robert Redford, come on. Come on. I submit to you. Greatest combo ever. Don't at me. All right. Two outlaws. Butch Cassidy, a Sundance kid. They rob a train one too many times. And in the movie, after they rob a train one too many times, a very special search posse starts to look for them. And it's different than the other posses because this posse keeps coming. And they can't figure out how to lose them. And at first, they use kind of their old tricks. They're like, oh, I know. We know how to escape them. We know. And the posse keeps coming. Then, uh, then they rely on the fact that, oh, it's going to be night soon. You know, we're in the middle of the desert. It's going to be night. They won't be able to track us in the dark. Sure enough, they look and they see the posse with the torches following their trail. Then they start asking a question. Remember the question they start asking? Who are those guys? Who are those guys? And then they get really, they start getting desperate. And they're like, okay, we're going to run the horses through water. They're not going to track us through the water. And then we're going to go up over the rocks. They can't trace us. They can't track us through the rocks. What are you so worried about? They can't track us. Sure enough, they start tracking them through the rocks. And they keep asking, who are those guys? How are they able to do what they're doing? There's something different about them. And they won't stop coming. You see, this is not unlike what my experience of Jesus was. When I heard about Jesus Christ and how he relentlessly keeps coming, whether, no matter how much I try to run from him, no matter how many times I try to escape, 
He just keeps coming. And I ask, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Why is he different than any other religious thing I've ever tried to, to learn about? I remember in college, I was, I'm like, I think I'm a Buddhist. And um, no, I, just because like, it sounded cool. So I took a couple of classes. I took a class on Zen Buddhism and Japanese cult religions, which is a fascinating class. But in the end, I felt like it didn't, it didn't make enough sense to me to give my life to it. I, there were a lot of holes in it for me that didn't seem to make sense. And I remember um, when, when I first heard about Jesus, immediately there was something different that was awakened inside of me. And when I learned what he did for me on the cross, I started asking, well, well who is this guy? The big question that we all have to answer at some point is, who is Jesus? Is he, like the video said, is he, is he a good teacher? Is he a good person? Is he uh, kind of a moral philosopher? Uh, was he a really good man? Or was he also the king of kings? Was he God incarnate? Was, did he die on the cross for my sins? These are things that we need to answer. And sometimes in church, we're even afraid to ask the question. I hope that this is a place where you never feel afraid to ask a question. This is what we should be doing. The disciples ask questions all the time. They didn't get it. If we're all following Jesus, we all need help. Like, help, I got a question. I don't get it. Explain this to me. And so what we learn about Jesus through Scripture is that he was like no other. Here's uh, one of the moments of Jesus' ministry that I think says a lot about who he was and is. This is Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the, mat the man was lying on. Okay, so just pause right there for a second. I think it's easy to blow by scripture like you read it really fast. Can you just get your head around this moment? First of all, another reason, like was it Jesus' house? Somebody's not happy with the roof. <laughs> I want to know, like, like all the million reasons why Jesus is better than me. Because I'd be like, yeah, come on. What are you doing? Like, I know it's crowded. You're going to dig through my roof? And of course, you know, it was, it was, you know, they used grass and thatch and all that stuff. So you could dig through it. But, but this is like, there's something different going on with this guy. People would gather around to hear rabbis talk all the time. I never heard anybody digging through a roof to lower a paralyzed person down. And first of all, how hard was that? Four guys? They must have been jacked, guys. How did they? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I love this part. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. I love that because um, I feel like this is one of the ways in which, you know, Jesus said the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that was in him is, is in each of us when we come to faith. 
And you've had that moment where you know someone's thinking something. You ever have that? Half the time, I think we just make it up. But other times, we, we kind of know. And Jesus had this perception that this Holy Spirit nudge that this was going on. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Do you understand what he's getting at? So he is acknowledging that it looks easy for him to say somebody's sins are forgiven because nothing on the outside changes. Right? So anybody could get up and be like, your sins are forgiven. And, and he's acknowledging that. He's like, yeah, okay, fair enough. I say someone's sins are forgiven, and you, there's no way that you could verify that. So it's harder to tell somebody to get up and take their mat and walk. But I want you to know, this is verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I think they were all looking at each other going, who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? He's healing people? Does he really have the authority to forgive sins? You see, what the very first followers of Jesus believed was what we get in the New Testament. So according to the New Testament, Jesus is what? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He's the one. He is God in the flesh. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only Son. That he is the one and only Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. What else does the New Testament say? Well, that he had authority to forgive sins in the first place. He performed miracles. He healed people. We also know just historically, Scripture says, he was crucified, died, and rose again. And if we're to know Jesus, we're to understand these things from the Scripture. Now, if I put, put the cynic's hat on, which I totally get because I was there once, I say, okay, yeah, well, the New Testament says that, like, of course it does. It's a religious book. And I think this leads to two different corruptions that have happened in our understanding of Jesus. Because I've heard uh, atheists make a lot of claims, or skeptics make a lot of claims that simply aren't true, but we sort of buy them wholesale because they seem to make sense. So corruption number one is, well, there's no evidence outside the New Testament. No evidence of what? Well, what people say often is, you know, this religious book, it didn't exist in its final form right away. It took some years to put together. And, um, and it doesn't really reflect what happened. It reflects everybody's interpretation of what happened. In other words, um, we don't even know if Jesus lived necessarily, right? I mean, where's the archaeological evidence? Where's the proof? How can that be verified? Like, you can't even verify that that Jesus was a carpenter. Like you can't, how, do you, how can you actually verify that stuff? Well, there's no one outside of the New Testament that can do that. So that would be like the first corruption. And I think people are like, oh yeah, you know what, you got a point. But you know, I believe in scripture and 
you know, this is my faith, and, but I'm going to kind of take that intellectual question, I'm going to put it over here because I don't want to deal with it. I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. And then one that kind of goes with it is corruption number two, which this was famous in the Da Vinci Code. This came up. It says that Jesus' divinity wasn't decided until the Council of Nicaea in 325. And I'm here to tell you with all respect, <laughs> these are two things that are simply not true. Now, I'm not arguing yet. That's coming in the next couple of weeks. I'm not arguing about the divinity of Jesus. I'm arguing that his followers believed in the divinity of Jesus, his earliest followers. And there's a reason why we need to go there first before we get to anything else supernatural. That, well, you know, that this all came about, his followers didn't even really believe it until later. Okay, so let's tackle these together and you'll see where we land. I, there's just evidence that I can give you right now. So outside New Testament evidence of the life, death, crucifixion, and the belief that he rose again come from a few places. One is Flavius Josephus. Uh, he, around 94 AD, he wrote Antiquities. He is a Jewish historian writing about Jewish history. He is not a follower of Jesus in any way, shape, or form. So around 94, he writes in Antiquities, he recounts the unlawful execution of James, the brother of, quote-unquote, Jesus, who was called Messiah. What does that tell us? It tells us people were calling Jesus Messiah as early as 94 AD. If Jesus was crucified around 33 AD, this gets us within 60 years or so of the resurrection, which at the very least we can say is way better than 325, 300 years. Okay, but let's keep going. Josephus confirms it. Also Tacitus, who is a Roman historian, he writes in his work, The Annals, in 116 AD, he wrote about the burning of Rome in 64 and Nero's persecution of Christians. So he's verifying that in 64 AD, Nero was persecuting this group called Christians, followers of Jesus. Who, uh, and he confirms their faith in Christ and his execution at the hand of Pontius Pilate. That's all. So the historicity of the Christian faith is confirmed. That he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. There was an actual Jesus. He did have followers who now put their faith in him, who believed that he rose again. And his execution was at the hand of Pontius Pilate. Which, interesting, in the historical record, that's the thing that's the most noted. Now, I also want to say, this is normal. 99% of people in the ancient Near East, their lives would not have been recorded. They weren't emperors. And the fact that there's anything on Jesus at all is pretty remarkable. All right. Then we have Pliny the Younger. That's my favorite. Can you please call me Jason the Younger from now on? <laughs> and it's going to make me feel good as I age. Um, he writes a letter to Emperor Trajan in 113 AD. He talked about Christians singing hymns to Jesus as if he were a god. So again, we're going much closer to the resurrection event than 325. What's the point? The point is, is that the earliest Christians... We have evidence, historical evidence, that they believed in the divinity of Jesus Christ. Let's keep going. Aristides, letter to Emperor Hadrian, Hadrian in 125. He was a converted philosopher who was a Christian who gives this incredible affirmation of faith. And I hope you can see it. It's real small uh, on the screen in front of me, but I'm going to read it from here. This, I just want to show you how amazing this is. This is like 
close to an Apostles' Creed kind of answer already. The Christians then trace the beginning of their religion from Jesus the Messiah, and he is named the Son of God Most High. And it is said that God came down from heaven and from a Hebrew virgin assumed and clothed himself with flesh. And the Son of God lived in a daughter of man. This is taught in the gospel, as it is called, which a short time was preached among them. And you also, if you will read therein, may perceive the power which belongs to it. This Jesus then was born of the race of the Hebrews, and he had 12 disciples in order that the purpose of his incarnation might in time be accomplished. But he himself was pierced by the Jews, and he died and was buried, and they say that after three days he rose and ascended into heaven. I mean, it's like all the orthodox points of Christianity already fully formed in his letter. Now, I, you may be thinking, that's still almost 100 years since the resurrection. That still feels like a lot of things can go on. 100 years is a long time. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, you have to say that from the earliest reports we have outside the New Testament, it verifies the facts of what the early believers believed. And I would say this, there is no evidence that supports any of these two corruptions. No evidence. So if this is a file that you've brought with you in a download somewhere, it's time to trash it and to reboot the original. I want to go to um, Philippians. This is an amazing passage in Philippians. It's Philippians chapter 2. Paul, as he's writing this, he says the following. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess or acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in this passage we get basically... Jesus is God. He died on the cross for our sins. All of this. Now, the reason this is important. This is known as the Christ hymn or a poem. So if you look in the Greek, I took a picture of my Greek New Testament. If you look where it starts at verse 6, you see that it's indented. You might know this from the English language. If you have song lyrics, if you have a poem, you, you might indent that. But when you, like let's say I was writing something now. Say I was going to write a a paper. And I wanted to quote lyrics from a song. The logic goes, the song had to exist before I quoted it. It has to be somewhere behind me so that I could quote it for use in my paper. Here's why this is important. This very early belief of Jesus. The book of Philippians was written between 49 and 51. Right? 49 and 51. There's the next slide. So the hymn must have been earlier. If the crucifixion was around 33, that gets me to maybe 16 years in between. And that hymn came earlier than the book of Philippians. You see what I'm saying? 
there is early evidence within probably a decade of the resurrection that Jesus' followers believed that he was God. Why do I tell you all this? Why does this matter? It matters because we can trust the Bible to give us a clean, original download. It hasn't been corrupted over time. It's verified outside of itself. It's not circular reasoning. Yes, you still have to get to, was it true? Was, was the divinity of Jesus true? If you took all the supernatural stuff out and just went by the history, it all checks out. The history checks out. So you can trust that whatever the earliest disciples believed is what you get when you open the New Testament and read it for yourself. And you have to get there. You have to trust it before you can get on to whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. And that's my prayer for us. That when we are confronted with the question, who is Jesus, we would respond the same way that they did when they lowered that paralyzed man down. We have never seen anything like this. I know that for me in my life, that that was my reaction. I've never seen anything like Jesus. Something's different about him than all those other religions that I went to investigate. I pray that that happens for you as well. The uncorrupted file of faith that won't crash. So let's get rid of the distortions and get back to the original files.